everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk. Welcome to Horror Fridays with Shannon and Kathy. How the heck are you? I'm wonderful. It's October. It is. It is October. You got some news over there? Are we doing stuff? We're doing some stuff. Yeah? Okay. The world's doing some stuff. So today we're going to talk some news and announcements. I know Kathy's going to talk about a horror documentary. Uh, I've got several films to chat about. And of course... Horror Facts with Kath, for those of you who may be new and think I'm a lunatic. Okay. Now, now listen, I could have saved this for either show, <laughs> but I kind of feel like this. these are more horror watchers that maybe watch this because it's not like sophisticated true crime. Okay. So season three, Unsolved Mysteries this fall. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. I am uh, really terrified of the show, just... Because I was gonna say, are you a fan? Is this yeah, like a thing? Okay. Totally. And it's coming back for volume three. So this fall, the haunting series is bringing you even more mysterious disappearances and baffling, possibly supernatural phenomena in a set of three weekly episode drops. So the new episodes will release on October 18th, October 25th, and November 1st, all part of the scariest Netflix and chills yet. I'm really excited. You know, they use a version of the original theme, which is terrifying. Okay. <laughs> updated, you know, yeah. it's, so it's newer Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, obviously, Mr. Stack has passed, so we have yep. a different, but it still has that same eerie, kind of cheesy, yet somehow still terrifying feel to it. Mm-hmm. And I might check it out. I think that sounds interesting. So let me, I think you're right in the sense that it's, not true crime. Yeah, it's it's, it's mystery, and so like you it's call like potato you, chip films. That's kind of like what I think unsolved. Like you just right. like it's so it's like a train wreck. You can't help it. Right. <laughs> yeah, because I could see how what you're saying is it's more horror fans that watch it because it's actually like a lot of it's just kind of bullshit. It's like watching stuff on Mothman or something. Yeah, it's yeah. like half of these <laughs> yeah. situations probably never happened. Or what about we found. You know, the, the, the people that for 40 years have been looking together and it's like update Shannon Calder found her long lost brother after losing him in 1976. They ran into each other to Shell gas station in Los Angeles. I mean, it's like, what? They'll do a, like a, an update, you know, it's just, yeah. it, oh my God. But Robert Stack, I still watch the old ones and, and I'm still terrified by them because now that he's passed away, it's even creepier yeah. having him in my room at one o'clock in the morning is that it's like, oh, for sure. Oh God. Whoever created that theme is like as brilliant as John Carpenter's Halloween theme. Cause it's so simple yet so terrifying. Like the exorcist bells. Yeah. Simple and eerie. Eerie. I, that was actually going to be one of my questions is like, do you have a favorite episode or is this something you've, there must be 4,000 seasons of it by now probably. But, but I get that it's kind of like law. Like I used to watch law and order on Saturdays and Sundays when TV was a thing where you just had the TV on and you know, there'd be law and order reruns on you know, TNT or whatever the hell. I'll tell you the ones that freak me out the most. Okay. They'll be like, we captured this picture of a man in 1812 who now resembles a Nazi Germany, you know, officer here in 1942. 
could it be the same soul? Right. And then they're like trying to connect and it's like really eerie because it's like ghostly. And yeah, by the end, his, you totally believe that did his soul travel. And like, he never, he, he really was him in a different time. And they have all these like quote unquote facts. And the I'm data. sitting, I'm sitting there like chewing my hand because I'm with the dogs, like underneath the thing. And I'm like, this is, is that, is that That's possible? Him. It looks like him. No, they it's did a facts. forensic. That is, Oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> it's facts. It's true. You can really only, I mean, it's terrifying any time of the day that you watch it. I mean, if I turned that theme on at two o'clock in the afternoon in my living room, it would freak me out. Okay. It just does that to me, but it's worse at midnight. In bed, alone, dark house, creepy music. Yes. Nazi war criminals who have been reborn. From 1812. <laughs> he worked yeah. on the railroad. <laughs> So it'll be some weird shit like that, but I don't know. Time travel. They do right. weird time travel ones. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I did want to bring up that there's a few things happening that I know we're going to do watch alongs with our patrons, but I wanted to mention them in general for others is that I know VHS 99 is on shutter. That's the new one in VHS oh, yeah. uh, land. I think we watched the, the one, before altogether. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And Joe Bob's Halloween specials yeah. on the 21st. So there's cool. that. Let's just slop that night, I imagine. But they always do like fun little skits and they dress up in Halloween. It's very festive in that sense. Like I've watched that before with all of us. That you know, is if you fun. hate the movies, yeah. that's fine. Just do whatever. But the little skits in between no, and they, everything it's fun. is yeah. a lot of fun. It's just like Halloween inspired. The Christmas one is really fun. Like too. Elvira used to do. It's totally. fun like that. And then also Cabinet of Curiosities, which is is debuting uh, later this month, which is Guillermo del Toro's new produced series. Mm. So the first two we're actually going to watch together on the 25th. And so there's some stuff coming out. There's a lot. There's been a lot of stuff coming out. You know, Ty West Pearl and uh, My Best Friend's Exorcism has, ah. by the time by the time this show airs, we're recording a little bit ahead of time. And by the time this show airs, we actually we'll have watched it together in our discord. Uh, my best friends, I, what I did is I programmed my best friends, exorcism and a hocus pocus Two oh, nice. on the same night, like on a Friday night for us all to watch together. But by the time you guys hear this, we will have already seen those. So coming up in the next episode, we will have then watched them and we will tell you about them. But yeah, there's a lot, I'm sure a lot of you have been, you know, watching those kinds of things too. So I'm excited to see them and talk about them. Uh, and I'm just talking to my future self right now. That's airing the podcast yeah. that's dropped I'm talking to my future self. How did you like them? Were they any good? Okay. never mind. Very good. <sighs> I think the next thing is actually Ooh. a little thing that we like to call Facts with <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. Okay. Which serial killer duo picked up a young woman to murder, but soon discovered that her father was Peter Lore, oh. so they let her go, fearing it would bring too much attention to kill her. Whoops. Lucky bitch. Right? She's not a bitch, but she was lucky. Yep. Number two. Children were often seen in Halloween postcards from the early 1900s, but they did not practice trick-or-treating until what decade? Okay. Hmm. Number three. 
During medieval times, torture methods used simple devices and the force of gravity to inflict unimaginable pain. What was the Judas cradle? Mm-hmm. You sick bitch. Yes. I went down that road. Yeah, you did. I've what stayed, was the search I've, criteria for that? I stayed away from mummies, though, this Medieval time. Medieval torture devices in Egypt. for 100. Number four, true or false? The decapitated head of a snake can still bite even hours after death. Mm. I don't want to know. Number five, how long, this one's for Pepper. How long does it take for a fire to spread through a plane? (laughs) (laughs) She's going to be like, I hate you, blocked. (laughs) She blocks me all the time. I know. (laughs) There you go. Okay. Thank you so much for all of that good feelings. Let's talk movies. So I watched a movie called We're All Going to the World's Fair. Mm. 2021, this was a Sundance movie. It's the reason why I was like, oh, that's finally streaming. That was really popular at Sundance. And I didn't see it and it got a lot of buzz and maybe I should check it out. Push play. Well, uh, woo, this is bad. So this was really a critic's darling of a film. Like even if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, it's like the critics fucking loved it. And then the audience fucking hated it. It's like one of those ones where you look at Rotten Tomatoes and it's like 100% critic ratings, 30% audience ratings. So that that gives you a sense of what kind of movie it is. So this was in the next, what's called Next, which is a section of Sundance that is, the shit doesn't always make sense. That's the section. It's, uh, it's, supposed to be like what's next meaning what is really going to be very different than what we're used to is usually what that is so again it went into a bidding war at Sundance like it was really popular and got a lot of buzz and I remember I remember that and like I said that's why I pushed play and I so the balanced part of this is that I did understand the loneliness and the internet interactions that seem sort of obsessive and a lot of the dysphoria that happens in this movie. So what I did was I just pushed play and I, and I was aware of the buzz and, and I knew what the buzz was about, which was a lot about how this was a filmmaker who was, it's a coming of age, like horror drama uh, written and edited by Jane Schoenbrunn, Schoenbrunn, and it's about her coming out process. I believe she's a male to female transgendered person. And what I've read, I haven't spoken to her obviously, but what I've read is that this was very much a a, a treatise on the coming out process for her. Mm. So, Again, always very interested in, mm-hmm. in people's experience. And so I did I did want to take a look at that. So yeah. late on a cold night, somewhere in the U.S., teenage Casey, 
who's pl- who's played by Anna Cobb in her feature debut, sits alone in her attic bedroom, scrolling the internet under the glow-in-the-dark stars and backlight posters that blanket the ceiling. Did you ever have those when you were a teenager? Oh, I know those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, very relatable. <laughs> Although when I was a kid, we weren't all about the internet and all of that, but she was finally decided, she finally decides to take the world's fair challenge, an online role-playing horror game and embraces the uncertainty that it promises. So you see how I would be interested in this, right? Yeah. Uh, Is there any H.H. Holmes in that? (laughs) Right. (laughs) After the initiation... She documents the changes that may or may not be happening to her, adding her experiences to the shuffle of online clips available for the world to see. As she begins to lose herself between dream and reality, a mysterious figure reaches out, claiming to see something special in her uploads. So this is where this like dude enters the picture and you get real creepy pedophile vibes from this guy, right? So that's the basic premise, but what you're what you end up watching is like a chick in her bedroom online. Oh God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. So it's supposed to represent the dysphoria that happens by you know, it, like that analogy between the dysphoria of gender identity and the dysphoria of like being online and being in that sort of world, right? Mm-hmm. Which I inst- I intentionally did not read about the movie before I watched it because I wanted to have that pure kind of experience where it's like, is that, is any of that going to come through? I understand that for the filmmaker, this was, this was that process in a very personal film. And I mm-hmm. imagine the first one, I believe, um, as far as I know, and I look forward to seeing, you know, what's next for her. But regrettably I was, bored out of my mind i think sometimes when people write really personal pieces that because it's very personal to them they feel that it will resonate and the issue with that is if there isn't any relatability of emotion or feeling that i mean that that can touch an audience outside of her specific experience or his or Or their community or their community that it doesn't translate and so it's brilliant to the person who it's, and it, it's brilliant in its own way because it's someone's personal story, but it's not going to deliver the way that they think it will. Yeah, there are so many review, positive reviews of this film. Like I said, Critic Starling. I guess what you can take from that is that if you know about it or something, maybe it's more successful with you. Mm. But as a moviegoer, no, not so much. So I was very bored. I thought that act one was pretty good, but as I've said before, like act one's the easiest one to write. <laughs> it's the setup basically. And then you got to deliver. So act one was pretty good. You know, I, it, it, there was a lot of loneliness. There was, it, I could see where it was going. I was kind of intrigued. I'm like, oh, and I had those initial thoughts of like, oh, okay. I can see why people were interested in this. It's obviously avant-garde, obviously kind of a film festival movie, but like I watch a lot of those, so I, I can roll with that. Yeah. And then it fell completely apart, and I think most audience was will not take the time to research what you meant to do or what you meant to represent or say, like in any movie. Like people shouldn't have to research to figure out what you meant to say. That's right. Um, but you know, perhaps it was made for a small market, which is perfectly great for an indie film. Mm-hmm. You know, it it only made like forty five grand or something. It, it simply didn't connect okay. for me. Okay. So unfortunately, that's where I landed. 
I'm a little late to the party on this one because this came out in 2011, but I think for me as a white person, it was really informative and really interesting. I watched the documentary Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror. It's really good. It is so good. I did watch it when it first came out. It was so good. And I think that, you know, I've been trying to diversify my horror watching for the reason that, like, I really want to understand the origin of characters from, in this situation, a black lens, not a white person's interpretation, which historically has been the case, which is what this documentary is about. So I think for most black folks who've watched this it's uh, much of it must is probably common sense but there's again like we were talking about that sense of relatability where they probably find it to be incredibly comforting that there's a documentary out there explaining this for someone like myself who isn't black it was so like oh my god this is really informative and so important to talk about so the documentary is it's it's a 2019 American documentary film by Xavier Bergen and based on the 2011 nonfiction book, Horror Noir, Blacks and American Horror Films from 1890s. Um, The film examines the relationship between African-American history and the evolution of the horror film genre and the roles that African-American people have played in the genre's development. So first of all, it's an amazing cast. It takes place, they filmed it at Grauman's theater in Hollywood. So it's kind of got a already aesthetically a cool kind of backdrop, kind of eerie for horror. Um, and it features interviews with so many people, including, but not, I'm not even going to mention all of them, but Keith David, Loretta Devine, Ernest Dickerson, T- Tina Mabry, Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. uh, I'm forgetting his name, Tony Todd, Rachel True, I mean, it really, it's such a robust cast that are all being interviewed and discussing. And they go all the way back to the 1915 film, The Birth of a Nation, which, by the way, every quote-unquote black person in that film was a white person in blackface. And that it was about the KKK and the reason to fear the black man. And at that time, spoken as, you know, accurate history. Right. And so then they move through the different subtypes and the different issues, the blacks, blacks, black exploitation. It's a hard word to say genre, which talks a lot about the 1970s. I had reviewed the film Sugar Hill on the show when we did the voodoo episode. So it talks a lot about the production of tokenism, black magic, the way that blacks were used in these really, you know, either as sidekicks for white leads or the magical Negro. And it goes into it in such depth, so much deeper than just the obvious that I was like really blown away by the way that they, because anyone can just talk about this stuff, but it was organized well. It really made people think, Um, And then talks about how it has now evolved into Girl with All the Gifts, um, Get Out, 
the Black Lives Matter movement, the black protagonists, the white antagonists. They they interview uh, the the folks from Demon Knight and talking about how Jada Pinkett Smith really was the first black final girl. They wanted to cast a white woman yeah. in that I love role. That so too. oh, he's awesome, and he was at the yeah. convention. We yeah. we heard him speak. So if if you haven't seen this, I urge people to really check it out. And through this documentary. I found a, a website of called the Graveyard Shift Sisters, which is a space that seeks to spotlight, interrogate, and celebrate the on and off screen artistry of black women in the horror and sometimes science fiction fantasy genres. Our final girls, Christ, Christina Lee Malin, ignited something special with her work, My Final Girl. So it even gets more specific that it's just about black women in horror. Um, so I was like, I went down this rabbit hole unapologetically <laughs> and I I had so much fun with it. <laughs> it's really good. And, and the, the show does, I remember that the documentary does give a lot of resources. I remember there's, there's a gentleman on there that has a website that I went down that rabbit hole after I watched. I, there's so many rabbit holes to go down. Yeah. There's this. a lot of great material. If you have, if this isn't part of your own culture and you want to, understand more uh also of course a lot of the movies they talk about are awesome <laughs> so yeah you should just see some of the movies right and you'll watch them differently mm -hmm. you do once it's kind of like when i was saying that that movie that other movie didn't really land for me it's like it was it's always a bit better if i know what they were trying to say i just don't honestly yeah. want to work that hard yeah most of the time <laughs> And some of this stuff was already obvious um, in some of the films like Birth of a Nation things, but they go even deeper that I'm like, oh, and then there's that whole space. So right? it takes you even further. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like, ugh. yeah, amazing. Good stuff. Uh, I watched the movie called Wolf 2021. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I started that with y'all. Mm-hmm. Let me just read the little doodad here. It's a 2021 drama, actually. Believing he's a wolf trapped in a human body, Jacob, who's played by George McKay, which I know has a very loyal following, and he's shirtless in most of the movies. So if that's your jam, you'll probably enjoy that part. Jacob eats, sleeps, and lives like a wolf, much to the shock of his family. When he's sent to a clinic for this, Jacob and his animal-bound peers, because everyone at the, at the clinic believes there are some type of animal, some animals that exist, like wolves and cats, and others animals that actually are more mystical, uh, Jacob and his animal-bound peers are forced to undergo increasingly extreme forms of curative therapies. However, once he meets the mysterious wildcat, who's actually played by Lily Rose Depp, if you're a fan of hers. And as their friendship blossoms into an undeniable infatuation, Jacob is faced with a challenge. Will he renounce his true self for love? So I didn't get to finish this with you. Mm -hmm. Was it worth the watch? No, not really. So yeah. like the cast and the cinematography are the real standouts here. I yeah. think that this is a real tour de force for George, like, uh, did a great job. I can understand why he took the role. Very unique. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting, uh, mental illness to, to portray. It's a, it's a type of body dysmorphia. So, you know, if it's meant, but, but here's my thing is if it's meant to address the marginalized communities or conversion therapies 
or treatment of the mentally ill, you know, if it was meant to address those things, it didn't land for me. Uh, the script was not strong in my opinion. The performances were good, but the script was script wasn't strong enough for me to connect what that what was going on there because you had a lot of availability to to explicate those those issues, right? So if it's an art film, which it was, you can go in the direction of talking th through the conversion therapy piece of this through an emotional context, which was there. You can go through the treatment of the mentally ill, which is definitely there because these these young folks, mostly young folks, were were abused in this clinic. There was an abusive like doctor that was quote unquote taking care of them. Uh, that's where that rang through with conversion therapies and the mentally ill and, and all of that. There were two people running this place that were abusers uh, or marginalized communities that, that could have been part of the analogy as well, you know, cordon them off and put them in a clinic as if they're sick when they're not type of deal. Mm -hmm. But the script didn't go there. I mean, it just didn't, it was very slow and thoughtful, but it just, for me, it didn't go anywhere personally. And also I have to give the disclaimer that there are dead animals represented in this movie. Yep. So just know that I don't think it's egregious. I don't think it's over the top. There's no, you know, long extended murdering of, of animals or anything like that. I didn't think it was gratuitous, but just know that there's, um, there's yeah, that yeah. represented. It was I didn't I, I gave it two out of five stars because I I think it had value in these performances mm -hmm. and different yeah, things. The performances were great. And it was and the cinematography was really amazing. But yeah. but the rest yeah, that's my thoughts. Okay. Yep. You know, I also ended up seeing um Morbius finally. Oh I've I was almost there. <laughs> I threw it on because... Yeah, what'd you think? I like him. I don't know. Well, <clears throat> unpopular opinion, I didn't think it was the trash everybody else thinks it is. Like, okay. man, that movie got trashed so yeah, badly. Maybe because you watched it late <laughs> and you went into it with low expectations. Yeah, and I like him, so a lot of people don't. I know, I like him too. All of a sudden there's this hate around Jared Leto because he's in everything. I don't, I don't know. Because he's kind of a kook. But I've seen him in interviews for Oscar and Emmy panels and stuff that I've then been invited to and stuff. And it's like, I don't know. He's kind of, I don't know. I don't, he doesn't bother me. So let's take that into consideration. If he bothers you, then okay, whatever. Don't watch it. I think people's big issues probably are that the CGI isn't perfect. You know, we're used to these big movies having amazing CGI and also that it's rated PG-13. So oh, when things are rated when things are rated PG-13, a lot of adult moviegoers have been very used to these types of big epic Marvel type movies <laughs> to be not PG-13 and to be bloody and violent and all that stuff. So it it doesn't have that aspect. So I mean throwing it on in the background when you I mean it's number one on Netflix for you know of course all week for a couple of weeks because everybody was like running out to see it so I think there's closet people that like it you know or they were just curious like me that's why I threw it on but to throw it on in the background like it's not that big a deal like just throw it on in the background there were some things I liked about it I you know I enjoyed it more I certainly enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to be with all the hate y'all are flinging mm-hmm 
Uh, and I also watched Thor, uh, the new Thor, okay. which was completely ridiculous. And I completely, enjoy- it's really silly, but I enjoyed it, honestly. Like, it's difficult to connect to any of the serious sides that were going yeah. on in that movie. I bet. Due to the kind of tongue-in-cheek nature of the voice. But honestly, Russell Crowe has a cameo, and he's fucking hilarious <laughs> he, in it. He also is another one that's learned to not take himself too he's seriously. He's so funny in it. He plays like a, he plays uh, like a, a god, of course. And... He does this like his very best impression of, you know, Marlon Brando. Yeah. It's like a God as like a Greek God as an Italian gangster. And there's a couple things he does that may literally made me laugh out loud. And also I thought Christian Bale was way creepier. I didn't like, I didn't know Christian Bale could be creepy and he's really creepy and ugly in this. Oh, he is creepy. That's not like his usual jam, but he was very creepy and ugly. Is it the machinist where he plays the, yeah. He's really good in that too. Um, I mean, it won't stick with me, but I laughed a lot. I honestly laughed a lot. So cool. eh, What are you going to do? So Yeah. We have a thing. We have a little thing that we need the answers to. We'll get you some answers. All right. So may I have the answers to the horror facts with Kath now, please? You may. (laughs) Uh, Let me me find them for you. Okay. Uh, Which serial killer duo picked up a young woman to murder but soon discovered that her father was Peter Lohr? So they let her go, fearing it would bring too much attention to kill her. Well, I, I... I had a hard time remembering, um, but I think it's the Buono guy. It's the, the, um, the L.A. Um, Hillside. Yeah, Hillside Strangler. Something. Yep, the Hillside okay. Strangler. You got it. I couldn't remember the other guy's name. Yep. It's like Anthony Buono and somebody else. Yeah, there's else. two. Yeah, that's, I think that's right. Okay. Number we t- talked about it on a show we one did. time. We did. Number two, children were often seen in Halloween postcards from the early 1900s, but they did not practice trick-or-treating until what decade? Um, I think it's the 50s. It's the 30s. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was only 20 years old. Only 20 years. What are two decades, really? (laughs) Nothing. During medieval times, torture methods used uh, simple devices and the force of gravity to inflict unimaginable pain. What was the Judas Cradle? Um, I don't remember exactly what it did, but I can kind of see it in my head. Okay. Can you describe um, it? You lay on it, I think. Maybe it's like a triangle or something. It is a triangle. It's a pyramid. Yeah, that's all I got. It's a pyramid shaped spike that a victim would be forced to sit on and it would penetrate the anus. Okay. No, no, Kathy. No. Dude, the stuff they did I'm at that pop time. I'm going to on the nose like a... We should do an episode on the Spanish Inquisition. Okay. <laughs> Talk about vicarious traumatization. Number four. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> True or false, the decapitated head of a snake can still bite even hours after death. I'm going with true. That is true. It's disgusting. I mean, I knew it still... Li- I didn't know if it was hours. Yeah. I did know it could still do its thing. Number five, how long does it take for a fire to spread through a plane? 63 seconds. Very close, 90 seconds. Oh. Which is why they say, listen, if you're sitting next to the emergency exit, this is how fast this is going to go. Like, get the fuck out. Yeah. Or burn to death. Choose your poison, really. I mean, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thanks for the. I love the uplifting ending the, endings. I love the endings, the terror talk endings on Fridays. Like, welcome to your weekend. Listen, go use a torture device and die on a plane. You can okay. choose the Judas Cradle or jumping out of a plane. Yeah. Choose your own adventure. Thanks so much, Kathy. We very much appreciate your patronage. <laughs> to our podcast it's so uplifting i know you were looking for a little escape in your life uh thanks a lot for listening next week on the show on wednesday i know that we're doing the we're going to discuss the cosby documentary if you guys ever have something that you want us to talk about something you'd like us to a movie you'd like us to watch a documentary a topic that you have please do not hesitate to reach out to our email address or our insta or twitter or Facebook or any of our social medias to to let us know because we have done many, many, many shows that came from you guys, from listeners, and we really enjoy doing that because we, we do want to discuss what you want to know, but I don't know unless you tell me. So thanks for listening. If you want to support us, uh, consider joining our Patreon campaign. But other than that, have a happy weekend. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. 